As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word once again to the Sermon on the Mount. We are going to look at the first five verses of Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Um, I am going to once again read from Isaiah 61 to help set the context for us. Just listen, just listen to Isaiah as we get into into the actual words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, especially as the words in Isaiah are words um, that are coming from Messiah's mouth as well. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, minds that long to understand, hearts that long to feel, and hands and feet that are ready to go forth and do. Help us, Lord, in every aspect of who you have redeemed us to be in Christ, to to soak in the wisdom that comes from above that is so different than the wisdom that is pressed upon us and that we get squeezed by on a daily basis. And help us to develop this virtue of humility that is described in this multifaceted way as it is describing for us nothing less than the Savior who dwells within us and whose mind is ours to exercise as we experience the gospel blessedness of life through death and exaltation through humility. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we said last week, we live in the age of the self. Self-reliance, self-expression, self-confidence, self-assurance. The way or the wisdom that our world teaches us 
within our current cultural context is that if you want to be successful, if you want to be happy, if you want to live the good life, if you want to flourish, the way that you do this is that you have to believe in yourself and then you have to get the other people around you to believe in you as well. That the path towards, to, whether it is emotional, psychological, whether it is vocational or educational, the way towards this, this desire that God has built into us because he has made us for himself is a longing for fulfillment. There's nothing wrong with the desire for fulfillment. One of the things you guys uh, who have been coming to Sunday school and, and reading through Augustine's Confessions, this is one of those foundational ideas for Augustine. As he find, finds this in the Scripture and as he uh, is wrestling within, it, with, within himself, that God has made us for him. And that our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in him. You and I are going to wrestle. And, and the, the way that we wrestle is shaped by the wisdom that we embrace. The way that we wrestle is, is shaped and formed by the wisdom that we value and that we live by. And that wrestling is either going to be the, the wrestling in which we are wrestling with God to, in our striving and in our longing to worship him and to glorify and enjoy him. That wrestling is also manifest in those ways that, that we reject him and the way that we prefer other things to him. And you and I, if we're honest, we, we are a mixture of these things. Our devotion is a devotion that is mixed between holy and righteous desires and earthly desires. And until Jesus returns, until we see him, until we are made like him, as the Apostle John says in 1 John, until that time, we are going to wrestle. We are going to be a mixture of these things. And the wisdom that we embrace is what formulates how we wrestle, whether we are wrestling for the right things or wrestling for the wrong things. It is wisdom that you embrace that shapes how you wrestle. In our world, in our culture today, the wisdom that it, that it gives to us over and over and over is a wisdom that is focused on the self. If you want to live wisely in this world, then you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to make others believe in you as well. Because anything other than that is setting you up for a vulnerability in which you will be taken advantage of. A vulnerability that will lead you to being hurt. A vulnerability that will lead you, you know, to not get all that you may want. And it, it puts at risk the very idea of even finding fulfillment to begin with. 
Our world, even when it comes to religion, will, will tell you that religion can be very helpful to you believing in yourself. That religion can be helpful uh, in, in uh, finding some kind of experience of the good life. But only religion insofar as it gives to you what we think is valuable for you to have. So if your relationship you know, with whatever God that, that you worship, if that is helping you get self-fulfillment, if that's helping you achieve self-expression, if that is the means towards self-confidence and self-assurance, if that's what gives you a profitable life, if that's what uh, helps you to, to have influence and it gets you what you want, then yeah, it's valuable. But, beloved, the wisdom of the heavenlies, the wisdom of the cross, teaches the exact opposite. And in this sermon, Jesus is unfolding for us lots of different specific ways. Now, we'll get to those specifics. But before we get to specific things like turn the other cheek, love your enemy, Right to the person that asks you know, for your for your co- your coat, give them everything that you have. Right before we get into these specific expressions that that we often tend to chafe at, the, it's the big picture that Jesus begins with, and and part of the blessedness that he is describing here is the blessedness of being emptied in order to be filled. If you're going to experience Christian flourishing within this world, it's going to be on the basis of being emptied to be filled. In Isaiah 61, we are get the, the words of Jesus are given to us uh, by Isaiah that, that he is one who is being anointed, he is empowered, and he is being sent to accomplish these great things. But he also says who he's being sent to. And even here, it is countercultural to what we would expect. In our world today, people who are really important, People, you know, who, who are in charge of things, who are leaders of things, whether it is in government, whether it's in business, whether it's in sports, right? The world that we live in says the, the rich and the powerful, they are going to uh, come to others who are rich and powerful. That these entities exist, you know, for people who are like them. And, and so the powerful use their power for their buddies, right? We have different phrases for what this looks like in government or what it looks like in the church, by the way, because it's in the church too. But when you have certain individuals that are seen to have more power and, and, more, and more prestige and more influence and the way that they will spend time with others who are seen to be powerful, and prestigious. But that's not the way of our God. The way of our God is to send the king of the universe, we are told, to those who are hurting. 
to those who are poor, to those who do not have power, to those who are not the ones who are who are prestigious or those who exercise a whole lot of influence. He comes to those who are poor, those who are in prison, those who are sick. He comes to the powerless. Do you see that? God is sending the most majestic, eternal, all-powerful king to the most lowly of the lowly. Why is it that the blessedness that, that Jesus starts off with in this sermon is so counterintuitive? It's because we so often forget the true dynamics of what God is describing of the world, of just how grand he is, and just how opposite of that we are in and of ourselves. And yet, it is to the powerless that the most powerful comes. And so there is a blessedness here that, that Jesus is unfolding, as we've talked about through this, this, this pattern of fulfillment from the Old Testament, that Jesus is the new king, the new prophet, the new priest who is leading his people in a new exodus, that all of this, it stems from a blessedness of, of a self-recognition that you are powerless. And that the blessedness that you are going to find in the kingdom of God does not come by seizing power, but by recognizing that you are powerless. In the first three Beatitudes as we see these blessing statements of what are the, what are the conditions of blessedness um, that Jesus is unfolding. He's unfolding this gospel virtue, right? This gospel virtue that if you're going to be the one who flourishes like the tree planted by the streams of water, of Psalm 1. If that's what you want, if that's how if that's what where you are going to find your fulfillment and and to experience the good life, it comes through humility. Virtue is this set of dispositions and habits that define how we think, how we feel, and how we act. As, as part of the big picture of this moral identity that we have as the people of God. And at the very beginning, Jesus starts us off with humility. Humility, as we described it last week, is being poor in spirit. This, as we said, is not talking about people who are naturally shy. It's not talking about people who are naturally uh, more introverted. It's not talking about people who think that they don't have any self-worth whatsoever, that Jesus is not describing being poor in spirit in, in terms of, of either thinking so poorly of yourself that you're still being self-centered or thinking so highly of yourself that you are self-centered. It's having a right understanding of who you are. 
And that right understanding is not something that is going to flow out of anything that's natural to your personality type or to your psychological um, uh, framework. It's not going to be the expression of your natural emotional. It's not going to come as a result, right, of nature or nurture. It's going to come insofar as you find your life hidden in Christ. Christ, the Son of God, who is equal to God, who is worthy of the worship of God, who is eternal like God, who set those things aside for a time. And even within his life, he accomplished his mission by not coming to do his own will. We saw from John 14, he came to do his father's will. It is through this humility of Jesus Christ that that even for Jesus, that this humility, this dependence on his father is not the result of sin. It is the result of of what the relationship within the Trinity looks like when it comes to his accomplishing his task of redeeming a people for his namesake. And as we are drawn into that relationship in order to glorify and enjoy God, it's going to begin with a humility that doesn't overpuff ourselves up and doesn't under-deflate ourselves either but as can stand and rest in the promises of God that nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. Right? Naked come, uh, do I come for dress, and I forget the rest. Oh, that rhymed too. But you see the picture. We sang this last week. Humility, though, is not only found in being poor in spirit. Humility is also found in the expression of a blessedness that comes from cultivating the virtue of mourning. Now, this, once again, is counterintuitive to how we naturally think, and it's certainly countercultural to the day in which and the values in which we live. But mourning here, by the way, is is not being limited to the mourning that we experience when we lose a loved one. As we have have multiple families here recently within our congregation that have lost loved ones and who are experiencing true mourning. The reason that, that that can even within as difficult as it is to experience that loss, it can be a blessedness because it, it's another way that shocks us into the God dependence that you find the blessedness of living with God. Another way of being emptied of ourselves is we have to be emptied of of a, a, a false perspective of what life in a cursed world is going to look like. We live as those who not only still have sin within ourselves, we live in a fallen world where there is sin that is at work in every single individual, not just morally, but physically. Everyone you know is getting older 
And they are going to, at some point, experience failing health that leads to death. And that is because sin is still at work within the body and not just within the soul. Sin is at work in every structure of every relationship that exists in this world. Whether it is the relationship of husband and wife, parent and child, co-worker, friends, schoolmates, teammates. It's not just in the relationships with enemies. And you're going to find sin as being a, a force, a corrupting force that exists in governmental relationships. It's going to be at work, and it's going to be operating its corruption at every level of every kind of relationship that you and I experience within this world. But if you're like me, I don't like to live always remembering that that is the case. I want things to work right, right? When I go to my my truck, I want to turn the key and I want it to start so that I can go do what I need to do. And when it doesn't, if there's anything in this world that will reveal that 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 helps me remember how powerless I am, it's something mechanical going wrong. I am not mechanically inclined. In fact, I'm at best mechanically reclined. And if when something breaks, there is that is just an obvious reminder to me of my powerlessness that I can't just make my life function the way I want it to. One of the things that mourning does when, when we mourn the loss of a loved one, it's, it's a shock. But it's a shock that points us back. It's a shock that points us away from from this this notion that we have within ourselves that we can somehow make a cursed world not cursed, that we can somehow experience a cursed world without having to experience the curse of the cursed world. But when we do that, beloved, what we are doing is we are trying to find ways to go through life where I do not have to actively exercise a dependent faith on the God who was present with me. And it puts me in a position to going about my day, having things go the way I want them to go. But then when something goes wrong, then I remember, oh, you know what? God is here. Maybe I can pray and he'll make things go my way. See, that's the way a lot of us live. And God doesn't want us to live that way because when you live that way, you are isolating God to only parts of your life. You're isolating God to only certain uh, times, seconds, hours of the week. What mourning does is it reminds us once again of our powerlessness and redirects our faith back to the power of the one who holds all things in his hands. And you and I need that. You and I constantly need the reminder of not looking for our hope in a fallen world, not looking for our hope in fallen leaders, not looking for our hope in fallen relationships, 
but looking for our hope in Christ. Now the beautiful thing is is that relationships can also function within our lives to point us to God. Relationships, when we do experience the blessing of that relationship, when we do uh, have those times where, where, where we are more at one with, with one another, uh, is, a, is a foretaste of that relationship that is still to come. But the reality is, there is going to, we do not want to try to live the good life, experiencing Christian flourishing, by defining that in terms of everything going the way that I think they should go. And so Jesus tells us there is within mourning, and not just mourning the death of a loved one, it says here, it just says to the one who mourns, to the one who mourns, the ongoing realities and effects of sin. The one who is able to rightly relate to God in light of what God is revealing about the brokenness of things, but also the hope of Christ. That brokenness is real, but brokenness is not eternal. And to the one who mourns then, the blessing is that there is comfort to be experienced. There is a comfort from sin that is to be experienced here and now, even though you and I will not only experience the comfort, we will have to also um, continue to experience the mourning. But the, the comfort that we are looking for, though ultimately will come in its fullness when Christ returns, we are not waiting for the fullness of those things to be experienced today. And the way that you experience the comfort that Jesus says is to be experienced by his kingdom citizens, that comfort is experienced when you embrace the powerlessness of living as one who still has sin within himself or within herself, who is still living within a world in which sin has it broken. We want to cultivate the humility that has a right understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ and that also maintains a right understanding of who we are in a broken world as those who still experience brokenness within our hearts. The third facet of humility that Jesus says here is not only is there a blessedness that's experienced in the poverty of spirit, not only is there a blessedness experienced in mourning, there is a blessedness that is experienced when all of this comes together and you are able to live towards God, towards yourself, and to your neighbor in light of finding your worth and value in Christ and not in a broken world. Because what it does, beloved, is it leads us to be able to embrace a meekness that leads to experiencing Christian flourishing. Meekness here is not weakness. 
Meekness doesn't mean that you're not strong. Meekness doesn't mean that you are cowardly. Meekness doesn't mean that you put yourself into the corner and just you know, try to make sure there's never any attention on you. Meekness is not something here that that is the result of anything natural once again. It is an expression of humility of heart that is the result of the work of Christ through his spirit within you, where that you are able more and more to embrace the different providences that God brings into your life. And respond to those providences with an attitude of acceptance, gentleness, in order to respond with service. The picture of meekness here, and I've used this illustration in here before, meekness is not weakness and cowardliness and shyness and those kinds of things. Meekness, as described in the scripture, is is like the horse who has the strength to trample anything around itself. And yet, when the bit and the bridle are put on the horse, the horse that has all, those, all that power that could be used destructively is now used constructively. Where that, the power, I mean, think about that horse and the ability that horse could have to just wreak havoc. And that's what wild horses do, which is why horses have to be what? They have to be broken. They have to be trained. See, they have to be broken of the wildness in order to be trained. Here's how to, to, to operate so that you're not uh, something that's going to destroy things, but you're going to be something that's a blessing to things. You see, the horse has to be emptied in order to be filled with something new and with something better. And when horses are broken and trained, all that strength and all that power can be utilized for the good of others and for the good of itself. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. When we are able to consciously cultivate a humility within ourselves that allows us to rest in Christ and not be trying to demand self-assurance and self-confidence and self-expression and all these things from the people around us, when we are able to rest in Christ, when we're able to take the focus off of ourselves in order to focus on him and rest in who he is, and when we are able to live with the right expectations of what living in a broken world is going to look like, what it's going to consist of. What that does, beloved, is it allows us to live with a peace within ourselves, a peace with God, a peace with what we experience, so that we can be a blessing instead of contributing to the chaos. And beloved, right now the culture that we live in is chaotic. That's what self-centeredness produces. It wreaks havoc on relationships. Because the, 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 the focus is I'm going to get what I desire from you instead of 
because I have what I desire, because I've gotten it from Christ, I'm going to help you find what you desire in Christ. Being poor in spirit, mourning, and meekness. These are three different lenses through which Jesus is presenting to us the humility that he embodied in his ministry that is the means by which he has turned the apple cart upside down. Where those who are powerful within this world and within themselves have been overcome so that those who are naturally powerless now experience the exaltation of Christ. And so, beloved, as we, as the church of God here within this world, if we are going to be a blessing to this community, it is not going to come as a result of taking the methods of the world and just trying to baptize those methods with Jesus. It is going to come as we take up the cross as we embrace the vulnerability of Christ and where we do not try to overtake the powerful through better power but where we show the world that there is something better than the power of this world there is the power of the world that is yet to come and beloved as we read earlier from 1 Corinthians, this is not the wisdom that makes sense to the world. It is the wisdom that the world considers folly. And yet, it is through the weak preaching of weak people that God will show his strength and establish his kingdom. Embrace the blessedness of humility. Embrace the confidence that comes from Christ. Embrace the reality of what the world is and what the world will be. And embrace the strength that comes from God in Christ in order to be a blessing in the midst of chaos. In order that that God-given desire that has been corrupted by sin will be something that you can experience through Christ and help others to do so as you not only embrace Christ, but as you embody Christ and as you extend Christ to your neighbor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are not the methods that we would choose. Or at least it's not the methods that I would choose. Humility is scary. Vulnerability is scary. Wanting what I want is so natural. And when I, when I trick myself into using biblical sounding language to facilitate me getting what I want, it seems so natural and even seems godly. But Lord, help us to avoid the appearance of godliness that denies real power. And instead, help us to embrace 
that bloody cross of Jesus Christ, not only for salvation and and, and getting my, my ticket to heaven punched, but for truly being the wisdom by which I structure my day that constrains my time, my treasure, and my talents, that focuses how I live before you, how I look at myself in the mirror, and how I present myself to my neighbor. Father, may the church of Jesus Christ come to be known for humility, for, for a seriousness of, of not only the world in its present condition, but in the hope of what is coming. And may we be marked by those who have been gifted from you to use our time, treasure, and talents for the benefits of others. It is hard. It is difficult. But it is the way of blessedness. Father, convince us of this, we pray. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.